You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Buongiorno, Principessa. Welcome to episode 74 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I am Manny Manuel. All right. Today is episode three of our five-part series on the 71st Academy Awards. Manny, first thing I want to talk about with you. Where the hell's Adam? Oh, sadly, life came along. Life is not beautiful. <laughs> only only in movies only in movies and uh life came and gave adam a swift kick right to the nuts as he was uh called into work for tomorrow at 5 a.m so as we record this right now adam is already fast asleep oh how how cute yeah i was i was looking forward to having a uh the, the man I so unelegantly referred to as Adam the Other Italian last week. <laughs> I was looking forward to having uh, an expert on the Italian language join us for this movie, but unfortunately it wasn't in the cards. Yeah, he was about to take the uh, the all-time lead in appearances and uh, completely choked. Yeah, choke artist. Complete choke artist. Uh, but we will soldier on. We will soldier on without uh, Adam. He was, uh, like I said, he was he was quite sad to uh, to not be able to make it. For uh, tonight's episode, but he as, shall return. As are we. Yes. As are we. We're always sad to not have him here. That is incredibly true. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing what he chooses to join us for next. <laughs> It'll well, we have plenty for him to choose from. We've already planned way, way, way on ahead. Yes. But uh we will we will continue on with Adam in our hearts. Uh in the meantime, Manny, please let our dear listeners know uh where we can be found on social media. Oh, they can find us on instagram and twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie they can find us on facebook at the samuel manual movie podcast why don't you join us over there you can send us messages you can like the very few posts that we make and also i just recently discovered that if you want to listen to us in other ways there are other podcast apps that are carrying us you can actually find us on of course itunes and of course spotify but also luminary and stitcher two great podcast apps Download them, and you can listen to any of our last 10 episodes. But, of course, if you're listening to us already, you probably don't need them, but I guess you can still get them anyway. That's true. Well, they could be listening to us off of our website, which I know Ooh. a couple people, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, my buddy Chad, and I think Chards actually also listens to us directly from the website. Ooh, old school. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's our social media. We're uh, sadly, again, like I said, sadly without Adam. So I, I had some other things I wanted to discuss with him, but he's not here. So let's dive right into uh, the meat of uh, this episode. And, and like my lovely podcast partner said, this is chapter three or episode three of our... Chapter three. Ooh. I know, right? It sounds a little bit more classy. When it, you put it like really that. does. <laughs> this is a mini series that we're doing on the seventy first uh, annual Academy Awards, and this one is "Life Is Beautiful." It was released February twelfth, nineteen ninety nine, 
Uh, directed by Roberto Benigni, written by Vincenzo Cerami and Roberto Benigni, starring Roberto Benigni, Nicoletta Brasci, Nicoletta Brasci, and Giorgio Cantarani. I'm so bad. I apologize to any Italian listeners we have. You actually, you actually nailed every single one of those. Oh, thanks. Um, this had a meta score of 59. I did see that. How absurd! Has there been a more underrated movie that we've covered? No. And what's funny is I never can. I, I've never heard of this movie being considered underrated. To me, this movie. Well, I, it, it did win its fair share of accolades, but I think that I, I was looking into this a little bit because, again, I was so curious how it managed to reach 59. I think the reasoning must be at the time it did receive a lot of negative backlash for what some people perceived was it making light of the Holocaust. I think that was sort of where the bulk of the negative negativity came from. Yes, especially from uh, actually Albert Brooks and Steven Spielberg. They both yes. actually spoke out quite loudly against this film. Um, but whatever, it's definitely not a 59 Metascore. Please. As much as I rail on about how great Metascore is, this is one of the few times that it is incorrect. Um, It got seven Oscar nominations and three wins. It won for Best Actor for Roberto Benigni, Best Original Dramatic Score, and Best Foreign Language Film. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. It had a budget of $20 million. It grossed 57 in the U.S. and 230 worldwide. The plot? When an open-minded Jewish librarian and his son become victims of the Holocaust, he uses a perfect mixture of will, humor, and imagination to protect his son from the dangers around their camp. Now, Sam, usually I dive in here and say, how did you see this film? But I know you'd seen this film prior because I was the one that told you to watch this film. Yeah, I, I think I have told this story on the air a couple of times before, but for the two of you listening who haven't heard it, um, I had before Manny and I started this podcast, uh, I had my wisdom teeth out. And before I went up for the surgery, I asked him for a list of movies, like a, like a small handful that I could watch uh, in recovery. And uh, instead, he submitted a list of 40 to me uh, <laughs> that I then chose from. And Life is Beautiful was one of the movies on said list. So uh, I watched this movie probably about two or three years ago now for the first time, I guess, probably closer to three years ago. Um, super high on painkillers um, and uh, and post wisdom teeth removal drugs of, uh, of various sorts. Um, and <laughs> the thing is, since this movie is so emotional to start with, that didn't exactly help things. I do believe <laughs> I cried towards the end of this movie, although it's difficult to remember. The whole experience is a little bit foggy. I was really excited uh, to watch this movie again of Sober Mind, and it did not disappoint second time around. Yeah, I remember... Um... When I saw this movie, I had heard about it hitting the festival circuit. I heard that it was going to be a big player uh, for the Oscars. So I was concerned that it wouldn't come to Kamloops prior to the Oscars. So me and a, uh, a friend of mine at the time named Chris, we drove down to Vancouver specifically to go see this movie. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I saw it at the Silver City Cineplex in Coquitlam, I think. All I know is that me and Chris and I think about five other people in the theater were weeping profusely at the end. Mm-hmm. I was crying like a baby. Um, I think I did ask you this uh, when you recommended this movie to me the first time, but I can't actually remember the answer to this. Had you actually seen this movie since becoming a father? 
No. Because I, I, no. I realized as I was watching this that I didn't think you had actually seen it since uh, since Maya was born. So I was curious uh, to know if your reaction had changed. Maybe maybe spoiler free. Could you just tell us uh, briefly if your reaction or your or your perception of this movie changed at all since this movie is largely about fatherhood? Going into this movie, I was super excited to watch it because I I'm about. 99% sure I haven't watched this movie since becoming a father. And don't get me wrong, like I've watched this movie multiple times. So watching I'm pretty sure at this point me watching this movie for this episode easily I would say between the 15th and 20th time I've watched this movie. Wow, that's more way more than I expected. Yeah, I've watched this movie a lot. I love this movie. I'd say probably cl- maybe closer to 15. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I used to watch it like I watched it a lot. And but I definitely hadn't watched this movie since becoming a father. And this is one of the this is a movie on on my list of movies I'm excited slash nervous to watch since becoming a father. And I won't lie, it actually didn't affect me as much as I thought it would. That being said, if I'd watched this for the first time being a father like i hadn't seen it prior and i just experienced this movie for the first time i think it would have fucked me up even more now that being said the on the odds that manny cried at this movie uh is a one-to-one it was a definite (laughs) cry definite cry and there was a couple times where i almost cried even prior to the end of the film just uh it did it still did it still did. I, I would be. I'd be lying if I said it didn't affect me more now that I am a father. Um, but I actually anticipated for it to affect me a lot more than what it did. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think that's what it yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it. I definitely. It definitely still did affect me more than normal. But I thought it would be a lot more impactful than what it was. Do you yeah, hear that beeping? Beeping? Yeah, hold on. Oh, I do. I totally do. We're going to pause for a second. And uh, and we're back. I apologize, uh, listeners. I don't know if you guys could hear the beeping uh, in the recording, but my neighbor's car, so alarm went off, and it was... Uh, Quite disconcerting. I had to check it out. But everyone here is alive. Yes, alive in, and well. In this phone call, anyway. Yes, yes. We've yet to yet to hear the status of the uh, owner of the car. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see any. I didn't hear any running footsteps or hear the smashing of any glass. So I think everything's okay. But uh, uh, he's probably fine. Yeah, I'm fine, and that's all that fucking matters, right? Exactly. Yeah. Fuck my neighbors. I'm alright too. Thanks for asking. Oh right. How are you? Are you okay, Sam? Yeah, I'm great. All right. We, I guess I should ask that more often because you're the one that usually has ambulances wailing in the background. Yeah, true. I'm surrounded by murder here in Calgary. Probably. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> All right. So like I was saying, the, the movie did have a little bit more effect on me uh, since becoming a father. Uh, I just thought it would be uh, even more than it was. So let's dive into the movie. Here we go. 
first off, what uh, I we are we are going to be spoiling it. By the way, we Fuck. should we should warn people we're spoiling. I save your ass on that every week, every, every fucking time. Week. You know what I need to do? I need to just write that in my notes. Spoiler warning, yes. capital letters underlined. So we are going to be spoiling. Life is beautiful. Sam, why don't you take us through our spoiler tag? Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, the first thing I actually want to talk about with uh, Life is Beautiful is the score. I love the score for this film. It is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, it's uh, it's surprisingly whimsical. Again, the, the subject matter of this movie is so heavy that uh, the to- the overall tone that's struck by all facets so the the acting the writing the score the cinematography it's all very very light and slapstick uh the score does a good job of uh accentuating that it actually uh you pointed this out to me earlier it did win this year right yeah there was they actually had uh, two score oscars this year for dramatic and uh, original uh comedy or musical score so it was one right. of two best score winners that year. This uh, this beat out Elizabeth, which we heard. Pleasantville, I can't remember Pleasantville's score. Me neither. Um, can't wait to revisit that movie. Uh, and then it beat out uh, John Williams' Saving Private Ryan score, which, whew, I don't know, that's a pretty fucking good score. And then another score you'll be listening to soon, uh, the Hans Zimmer score for The Thin Red Line. Ooh. Yeah. Hans um, Zimmer is my boy. Is Zimmer your boy? Hans Zimmer's my boy for sure. Love me some Nolan slash Hans Zimmer scores. I like Zimmer. I like Zimmer. I like Alan Silvestri, but mm-hmm. I th- I think for me John Williams is my boy. Yeah. Oh, John Williams is the guy. Yeah. But he is he's the man. Yeah. Me saying Hans Zimmer is my boy is like saying he's my favorite composer for a movie other than John Williams. Yeah. Because John Williams will forever reign supreme. I do like Randy. I like Randy Newman as well. Um, shout out to uh, the late great Johan Johansson, who died tragically young before he could fully be appreciated. But he uh, he wrote the scores for uh, most of De- Denis Villeneuve's movies, like mm. Prisoners, Sicario, um, Arrival. Oh God! Yeah, I've been. Uh, complete side note before we uh, we move on here. I this fi- is already a complete side note. I know. I uh, finally got around to watching the three short films for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh. That bridged the gap between Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to watch them. Fuck. They are, are they all directed by Villeneuve? No. They are, there's uh, one's an anime and then two are live action. Interesting. Okay. I'll uh, Hold on. I'm actually going to physically. I always say I'm going to put things on the list. I'm physically going to write that down right now. Beauty. Okay, uh, but back to the score. The score uh, by Nicola Piovani is, you're right, it's very playful. It's so beautiful. It really, it's so, like, it's so uplifting. Mm-hmm. And it's such a counterpoint to what the subject matter is, and I think it's one of the reasons that I love it so much. Um, oh, yeah, just, I, 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 as I'm talking about it right now, I can hear it in my head, and... Uh, I'm just such a fan of that score. Yeah, um, I, I think one of one of the technical aspects that stands out to me the most, the score is quite good, but I'm even more impressed with the cinematography. Um, I I, I want to talk about this a little bit. Not, I don't have all that much on it, mm-hmm. but there's multiple shots in this movie that are absolutely stunning. 
Um, the first one, like there, there were a bunch of nice shots in the first half of the movie, especially in the romantic section, uh, the first act. Um, but my favorite shot maybe in the entire movie is uh, when Guido's sitting in the opera house. And there's this big, beautiful opera happening in front of him, and uh, the camera is uh, is situated behind him, and he's not even remotely looking at the stage. He's he's glancing up at uh, at the balcony at, at Dora. Dora. Yeah. I I just there's the shot from behind him that's so his entire body is just turned towards her, and it's just such a beautiful piece of visual storytelling. And for some reason, that shot just like stood out to me as just a, a very effective visual piece of storytelling interesting because actually i i didn't really notice the cinematography in this film on Mm -hmm. either end i wasn't that impressed by it but it wasn't so bad that i was i I thought the movie looked bad i was just kind of for me it was just kind of i get for lack of a better word just kind of run of the mill yeah i i can see why you would think that the only like there were there were a few shots that impressed me like that one um but overall what i like about the look about of this movie is that it seems to be mostly in wide shots. So there's not a lot of really aggressive camera movements mm-hmm. that you'll find like, you know, like a, like sometimes Spielberg has these or like one of the guys that really does them almost too much is David O. Russell. But you know, there are some guys who just like love doing these really aggressive camera movement movements. There's, there's nothing really flashy like this in this movie. No, not at all. Um, but uh, I, I do like how they just uh, have a lot of wide shots and the, the cinematography mostly serves to let um, Roberto Benigni uh, just let his acting shine. You know, it, it's mostly just wide shots. It allows you to get a good sense of the environment, get a good sense of where Benigni is situated in this environment, and it's it's mostly in service of him. I want to talk about Benigni. Sure. And I'm on the fence on whether or not I think that he deserved the Oscar for this. Now, at Sim- simply because it was a coin flip with Hanks. Actually, for me, it's uh, Edward Norton for American History X. Oh yeah, fuck that movie's awesome. Yeah. Um. At while I, in no way, shape, or form, am I saying that his performance is bad because nothing could be further from the truth. Benini is spectacular in this film. I th- but one of the reasons that I love that he won is that this is mostly a comedic performance and they're so rarely um rewarded. Yeah. It's so rare we get to uh, see a comedic performance. Because like his best acting his be- like his best acting scenes are the scenes where he's being comedic. He has quite a few dramatic scenes as well, obviously, but like his his comedy, especially like his physical comedy and all that, are what for me really stand out in this movie. And I think it's because when I think of acting, I think of acting, and not I, you I think, think of I, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, and I I rarely ever give credit to comedic performances the way that they really should be. They really should be rewarded. So that's why I I do like that he won Best Actor for this because it's, like I said, it's so incredibly rare that a, a comedic turn gets gets rewarded for its for its performance. But on the flip side, like, is this performance better than Hanks and Saving Private Ryan and Edward Norton and American History X? 
I, it's, I guess it's hard, but that's one of the beauty of art, I guess, right? I mean, there's, there is some subtlety to be had in this performance. It's not completely without uh, dramatic merit, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, one of the scenes that I, I or it's not even really a scene, it's just a brief moment. It's when he comes across the mass grave when he's oh. holding Joshua in his arms, and he just kind of freezes, and in the complete absence of anyone to entertain, it's just him and his sleeping son, he completely freezes and just has a, a look of shock on his face that is is wordless, but uh, I, I really liked as just a uh, as a silent performance. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm going to have to come... I think I'm... I, I think I'm just going to have to just fully admit that his performance, it carries so much depth and range. Like, mm-hmm. his when he's being comedic, especially in the first half of the movie before the movie, quote-unquote, becomes serious, he's so goofy and over-the-top, and the physical comedy and everything he does is so spectacular. And then when we get to the Holocaust moments is when he starts to step it up even more. So it's such a more of a wide range that he displays and so much more that he can show off in this performance than the obviously boiling intensity that Edward Norton has in American History X. Oh, God, but that Tom Hanks performance. The the first time around that I watched this movie, the moment that really impressed me from uh, from Benini as far as acting range goes was uh, there's a couple of moments where he's uh, carrying anvils uh, which he claims is to is to build the tank, <laughs> and the second time I believe he gets caught by Joshua, and he he's seconds removed from saying I'm gonna die here. Uh, there's no hope, and he he's completely hopeless and breaking his back to carry these things. And the second Joshua shows up, he flips a switch and has to go has to go goofy Guido again. And I I was just I was really moved by that uh, both times that I watched this movie. Yeah. I think it's there's a, there's a lot of great moments like that that I think his sort of goofiness um, distract you from, you know? Yeah. No, I think this is well-deserved. I think this is well-deserved. Me too. Yeah. Obviously. But then again, I, I haven't seen American History X in probably like three or four years, so maybe maybe it's in need of a rewatch. Yeah, it's on Netflix right now. It's American History X is good, but it's one of those movies that is just so difficult to watch because it's so remarkably heavy. Yeah. It's an excellent movie though. The uh the director of that film, I think his name is Tony K, and uh he's I like I, if I remember correctly, he's very anti-Hollywood and I don't know, probably a little too much anti-Hollywood, but he actually made this documentary on the abortion debate. Mhm. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was the most down-the-middle documentary I've ever seen because he let both sides of the debate have ample time on screen. But he's also not afraid to uh, push the envelope, and it was the first time I had seen actual aborted fetuses. It was... uh, disturbing to say the least uh, lake of fire is the movie released in 2006 by tony k yep. uh metacritic has an it has an 83 on metacritic right now oh it's so, yeah it's Apparently good you're not alone in thinking it was pretty powerful it's it's supremely powerful and very good yeah Ooh, lake of fire god damn tony k 
Man, I'm just adding all sorts of things to my list tonight. <laughs> Wake of Fire. Also a pretty good Nirvana song. Oh, that's a great Nirvana song. <laughs> um, all right, so we've, we've basically come down that we like Benini. Uh, I didn't like uh, Nicoletta Brashi. I found her... Maybe it's because Benini's so good. But... I didn't find her that good at all, actually. Yeah, first time ever a woman has a underdeveloped character in a uh, performance next to a wonderful male uh, character. Uh, first time this has happened in a movie, as far as I know, hopefully the last. Uh, but yeah, she was surprisingly dull. But she, it's unfortunate to say, but her purpose is to be the love interest in the first half or in the first third of the movie, and then in the concentration camps, I think she's sort of supposed to serve as a foil. Like, whenever we see Dora in the concentration camp, it's those are some of the darkest scenes in the movie. Those are some of the most deflating scenes that there are. And then she's given hope by uh, her brief contact with uh, with Guido um, over, the, over the intercom. Um, so I, I think it's unfortunate to sort of uh, view it through this lens, but she's, she's in this movie solely to serve a narrative purpose. She really doesn't have anything to do. That's true. Um, That's played by his real life wife. Hey, yeah, I had actually heard that. And uh, does, did I hear that she has, um, no, I I thought she had a, uh, a writing credit or like a production credit or something, but that's a different brashy or Mm. brasky brashy. I don't know. Um, I forgot to, I, I want to mention this before we started, but it's not a big deal. Um, Benini's, oh, pardon me. I'm drinking too much Coke and I'm getting burpy here. Uh, I found this, uh, little paragraph I just wanted to share with you. Uh, uh Roberto Benini wrote the screenplay with, uh, Vincenzo Cerami, uh, was inspired by the story of Rubino Romeo Salamani and his book, In the End, I Beat Hitler. Uh, which incorporates elements of irony and black comedy. Sal- Salmani, Salmani, not Salami, Salmani, was an Italian Jew who was deported to Auschwitz, survived, and was reunited with his parents, but found his brothers were murdered. Uh, Benini stated he wished to commemorate Sam- Salmani. I can, I'm always going to say that as a question. Salmani? <laughs> as a man who wished to live in the right way. He also based the story on the life of his father, Luigi who was a member of the Italian army after Italy became co-belligerent of the Allies in 1943. Luigi Benini spent two years in a Nazi labor camp and to avoid scaring his children, told about his experiences humorously, finding this helped him cope. Benini explained his philosophy, to laugh and to cry comes from the same point of the soul. I'm a storyteller. The crux of the matter is to reach beauty, poetry. It doesn't matter if that is comedy or tragedy. They're the same if you reach beauty. That's that's very nice. And I mean, that's such an that's an idea as old as theater or as old as storytelling, really, that Mm -hmm. that tragedy and comedy are two sides of the same coin. Basically, they uh, their reaction to the same to the same sort of ideas, just in different ways. So, yeah, that's uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, It's quite beautiful. Me, too. Uh, I love that the movie when it opens sets the tone right away with a very cheap and easy uh sag heel joke with the brakes going out of the car and he's trying to wave the people out of the way and they think 
they think he's the ambassador or king of Italy or something like that. But he's, yeah, I think it was the king. Oh my god, he was. It, it, I still laughed at it. He's standing there <laughs> trying to wave people out of the way, and he's giving the sig heel sign. Uh, it just made me giggle. It, <laughs> it just set me up so perfect to start enjoying this movie. Um, other aspects I really love. When we were talking about the cinematography, my favorite, it wasn't even a, I don't even know what we call it, a camera trick, a movie trick, but the transition from when uh, Guido steals Dora away and she walks into the greenhouse and the camera just stays there for a few seconds and then the sun comes out to show the transition in time. Yeah, it's, the sort of yeah, the time lapse the, uh between the first and second act. Yeah, it's so it's like it literally is the easiest thing you could ever do, but it works so efficiently. Like it's such a such an easy trick to play. Mm-hmm. It's little subtle things like that that I love. I don't know. Have you ever seen The Hunt for Red October? No, I haven't. That's something we'll probably end up watching down the line, but they right. have this cool they do this cool thing where um, in the movie, I'm sure you know the, the premise of the movie, but Sean, Sean, Con- Sean Connery plays a mm-hmm. Russian submarine captain. Cool. And so what they do is there's these scenes where they're obviously speaking Russian, like they are literally speaking Russian, and all the camera does is it slowly moves into their mouth, and they speak Russian, and then when it gets really close up on their mouth, they start speaking English, and that pulls out to let you know they are still speaking Russian, but instead of us subtitling it, they're just going to speak English. That's pretty cool. I yeah, like that. right? It's a cool little trick. Like, So him and like the other person in the, in the scene is Sam Neill. So they start off the, di- they start off the scene speaking Russian. It, the camera moves into their mouth. It's subtitled. The subtitles stop. He starts speaking English, and they pan out. To, again, it's such a simple move, so these guys don't have to speak Russian every time that they're on screen together. It sounds like it's kind of a mind fuck, honestly. Yeah, it's not. Once you see it, you're like, you're like, fuck, that's such a like, what a great idea. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with this. It's, I, I guess for, I don't want to call it a camera trick, but it's, I don't know what to call it. But well, it's a transition, or it's, I don't know, trick might not be the worst word for it like it, it, as long as it doesn't have a necessarily negative connotation no but i, I it, think I, I think this is one of the many things we've been talking about that just as far as the tone of the movie fits it so well it kind of gives it this like magical fairy tale sort of mm, sort of idea totally like, yes like a four years later sort of uh sort of idea you know it's i don't know it's it, it gives it sort of a magical feel especially with that score playing over top of it oh that fucking score I'm going to talk about the score all night long. Um, there's so many great the the first half of the movie the I guess for lack of a better word the the first half of the movie is like a romantic comedy, and then the second half of the movie is very is much more dramatic with some some very heavy dramatic tones, but also some incredibly comedic moments. So I want to focus on the first half of the movie to begin with because there's some things that I really loved. I love. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think if they had made a standalone movie for the first third, obviously it wouldn't be as good as the movie as a whole, but it would still be damn good. Oh. If, if the first 
act of this movie was its own rom-com, I would totally watch it. It would be so good. Oh, it, and it's all because of Benini's charm. Like, he is so... He's so charming and amusing and <laughs> and just so lovable. The The writing of this first section is so great because there's so many recurring jokes. That's exactly like where I was going. Every joke has a callback. Yes. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Hot Fuzz. If you've ever seen Hot Fuzz, every joke in that movie is like repeated and has a callback later in the movie. I wouldn't be surprised if that totally drew from this movie because it's the same sort of format yeah like the i love that there's like the three big ones are the key from maria the hat and the riddle and how he uses them on the like to basically win her heart Mm -hmm. Uh, which how could you not right he won my heart Mm. and i also oh even though we we did talk about cinematography and how it wasn't that impressive there is for me my favorite shot of the film is when they're standing in the rain and he throws down the red carpet yeah it's a great shot it's a great shot um the you can see that the budget was quite low because the production and set decoration especially in the hotel was so lacking but I think it just feeds into the fantasy and fairy tale idea of this story. Because that hotel is basically all white. Like it, it doesn't even it doesn't even look real. Yeah, and I think that's both a a, a symptom of the low budget and probably an intentional choice. They probably chose to use the budget elsewhere instead of on that set. Because yeah, an all white set in this hotel sort of make honestly i thought it was a castle at first when i first saw it you know yeah and i think that's that's probably a deliberate choice it's the same sort of uh symbolism or symbology that you see in fairy tales a lot of them take place in the castle mm-hmm. yeah and i didn't even it so we're 20 years after this movie's come out and it wasn't until this week that i realized that dr lessing his riddle partner um, is an actor named Horst Buckles. I th- or That's Buc- a great name. Yeah, uh, Horst, yeah, Horst Buckles. Um, he play- <laughs> he's German, obviously, um, but he also played a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, he played a Mexican in the uh, Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I was just seeing that. Uh, Chico, yep. is it? Chico. And it, I honestly didn't oh even realize it was him until last night. Or four nights ago. Sorry. I don't honestly recognize him from anything other than Life is Beautiful. I haven't seen The Magnificent Seven. Let's see. I'm trying to... Uh... Yeah, I, I only know him from... Well... I didn't even know him from this because it wasn't until a little while ago I realized this was him. But I, I, <laughs> I know him from The Magnificent Seven. I, I love The Magnificent Seven. And for those of you that aren't sure, I'm talking about The Magnificent Seven from 1960, not the one from a few years ago with Denzel and... Uh... Damn it. I can see his face. The fucking guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pratt? Nope, the other Chris. 
It was Chris Pratt? No, yeah, Chris Pratt. Yes, Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt. from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, Chris Pratt, sorry. Yeah. Which, that movie was not good, by the way. Magnificent Seven? Yeah, that one. I certainly hope you're not talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. No, 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 no. The 19-whatever, the 1960 Magnificent Seven is fucking awesome. The one with Denzel and Chris Pratt, not so much. Uh, there were there were two other gags uh, in the opening sequence of Life is Beautiful that I really liked. One is the the dude who always has eggs on his head. <laughs> yeah, the I, I I have to imagine again. I don't speak any Italian whatsoever. I have to imagine that's some sort of pun because they in the subtitled version, which we both watched, um, they keep repeating the phrase. Uh, the man who has eggs on his head or something like, or something to that effect. I have to imagine that's some sort of like joke or pun because it seems so wordy in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's Adam when we need him? Exactly. Adam, we need you here. Fucking Adam. <laughs> um, the other one was uh, his, I'm trying to find the name of the philosopher, but I, I can't find it right now. Schopenhauer. But it, Schopenhauer. Thank you. Yeah. Their whole gag with uh, him waving his hands and yes! using willpower to, to bend the world to his will. Vortete, vortete, vortete. <laughs> yeah, I, he uses it in uh, the opera house. He uses it uh, to get his, uh, his is that his friend uh, to go to sleep? Or who yeah, is that? I think it's his friend, yeah. Yeah, his friend. Uh, he uses it to get him to go to sleep. And then that has a callback even later in the movie when he gets the uh, the dog to move the way yes. to move out of the way uh when when the dog is sniffing at the cabinet that's hiding joshua yeah yeah it's yeah I, i'm a big fan of that i had that as well i and i love the way he waves his fingers for those of you yeah. who can't see if you're trying to picture it's almost like spirit fingers from bring it on yeah manny and i have just been like giving each other jazz hands for the last 30 <laughs> seconds basically um one other scene in the first half that i really loved uh was the uh, the salmon switch scene when he gets when he's talking with uh, Dr. Lessing, but the <clears throat> um, uh, the inspect the school inspector comes in and he starts he convinces him to because the kitchen's closed the only but he's gonna get a big tip if he can somehow convince him to order this salmon and salad and white wine he'll probably get a great big tip so he makes all the other food sound while good makes it sound heavy and greasy and gross but he makes the he makes the salmon sound so delicious that that's what the guy wants and i just remember in in italian with the mushrooms the fritti 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 (laughs) yeah that's that's a very good scene as well yeah he's just so great in the comedic moments that he just it just really stands out and uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking now when he goes to train to be a waiter with his uncle and he's talking, the only thing he knows how to serve is the chicken. And uh, he's talking about how you, re- you, <laughs> you cut. He's like, a lobster is a crustacean, so you remove the crust. <laughs> yeah, when he's trying to bullshit his way to becoming a waiter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find. Sorry if I sound unresponsive right now. I'm trying to find no. uh, all of the riddles that he's answering because those are some of my favorite parts of the movie as well. Because those are a really effective way of showing early in the movie just how clever uh, Guido is. Well, the um, the one riddle um, that I know the answers is is silence. I've heard that riddle before. Mm. Um, 
if you say my name, I'm no longer there or something along those lines, that silence. Um, the one riddle he has where the answer is um, uh, seven seconds. Yeah, uh, the dwarves and Snow White sit down for a bite. How fast can you guess what she serves her guests next? Yeah, um, and there I do have a note on that. Uh, in Italian, the answer to the Snow White riddle is seven minuti. It's a play on words between minutes and dwarves. So that's why that riddle in Italian works much better than it does in English. I have a less fun note on one of the other riddles. uh, It's Italian translation. Fire away. Um, So uh, the one that we don't get an answer to in the movie, um, the one that the German doctor asks him while they're in the camp. Oh, the where he thinks it's a duckling or a platypus? Yeah, fat, fat, ugly, ugly, all yellow in reality. If you ask me, if you ask me what I am, I answer cheap, cheap, cheap. Wailing along, I go poo, poo. Who am I? Tell me true. So in Italian, qua has a dual translation. It can mean quack or here in Italian. Okay. So the answer, so the answer is Jews. In Nazi opinion, Jews are fat, ugly, all yellow, cheap, and they are here in the camp. Uh, yellow referring to cowardice. Um, quack 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 in Italian translates to coin 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 apparently. Oh so, my god. So that is slightly more tasteless. Wow. And it's like a triple entendre, so it's both tasteless and honestly a little impressive. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm jaw dropped right now. <laughs> that is a from from a certain point of view a fun fact. And from another point of view, a horrifying fact. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we go from riddles about uh, Jews being cheap? Um, I think I think that's all I really wanted to talk about for the first half for the romantic comedy side. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else right in front of me right now. Okay. Um, so then let's move on to when the film takes a serious turn. Um, again, for those of you that if for this one, it's a little bit harder to see the, uh, I don't know, see the connection, but like I told Sam, in our episode where we were reviewing Gladiator is that this is Maximus's son in the movie Gladiator. Um, his name is uh, Giorgio Cantarini, who plays jo- Joshua. Um, he, uh, he's got a, he takes a, a massive horse hit in Gladiator. Obviously not, obviously not him, obviously a stuntman, but he is uh, viciously murdered in the movie gladiator but here he is hilarious yeah hilariously crucified if i'm not mistaken yeah um or hung and but um he's amazingly adorable in this film and uh i didn't notice it but upon research i guess there's a couple scenes between him and benini where you can see benini mouthing the words that uh Giorgio is supposed to be saying I've never <laughs> I've, I've never noticed it but I, he's kind of like feeding him lines and that's understandable the kid must have been what he could have been no more than seven years old yeah tops if that yeah he's super it, it, 
I know I know that I said I wish I spoke Italian for this movie, but as far as his performance go goes, um, I'm sure it's cuter when I don't speak Italian because I'm sure it seems like as child performances always do or most often do. Um, I'm sure it's way less convincing and way less brutal. Or I'm I'm sure it's just a lot less watchable if you're a native Italian speaker because probably. it's a child performance. Yeah, probably. But but since we don't get all of the nuances of like his inflections and, and stuff like that, um, we just get to appreciate how cute he is, right? Which is, you know, fine by me because he's super cute in this movie. Yeah, 100%. I agree 100%. You know, what's funny is I never actually thought of that before, but you are 100% correct. There's We're probably missing a lot in translation. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah, well said. Um his oh i thought i was getting a bleed nose that scared me again and like another pause in the show god damn um <laughs> i as i was watching it guido's attempts and desire to protect his son from these tragedies was so heartwarming and this is when i could get i the feels in me were starting to come up a little bit more Mm-hmm. As the movie transitioned from more of a, like we said, from more of a romantic comedy into more of a father-son story. And this is, as much as we enjoyed uh, Benini's performance in the first half of the film, this is kind of where he starts to earn his Oscar. And like you said, the transitioning from comedic to dramatic, uh, or from comedic to tragic, uh, <laughs> is astounding. The highlight, well, I shouldn't. Well, the movie's full of highlights, but for me, the one scene that is both scary uh, and hilarious at the same time is the translation scene in the yeah. barracks. The reaction shots of both uh, Joshua and the other, I guess, uh, internment camp attendees. <laughs> the is amazing and the way that i love that they didn't subtitle what the german was saying so you kind of are kind of in on the joke as well i guess not i guess you're not in on the joke you're just you get the one side of it and it, it sort of it puts you in the shoes of the other observers in the room yeah, right and it's it's such a great and fantastic scene that still to this day makes me giggle the translation scene is one of the highlights of the movie, honestly. It's it's hilarious. And since I, I, I said I don't speak Italian, I do speak a little German. Oh, you so, do? That's right. Yeah. So listening to that is uh, – it's a different kind of experience when you do understand what the German officer is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any exact quotes uh, in front of me right now, but you know the part where he's gesturing over his shoulder. Yes. And Guido translates it as – uh, he who comes in last needs to wear a sign on his back that says jackass. Yes. Um, what the officer is actually saying is something to the effect of, if you try to run, you will be shot in the back. <laughs> something like that. So it's it's a lot heavier when you can actually understand the German translation as well. Oh, that's spectacular. Yeah. And there's, I mean, it's basically every sentence that he says is horrifying. And then Guido is just translating it in these light and happy ways. Oh, that makes me wish I did know what the German was saying even more. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a fun experience. Oh, definitely. I get it. Oh, that would be fucking spectacular. And could they have picked a more intimidating German officer? Like, 
No, he's he's scary as fuck. Like he looks scary, and he's got that great, I guess for lack of a bit, like stereotypical deep German voice that just makes that language even more harsh than it already is. And just like a fat German square head. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic casting, actually. It is. It's spectacular. His you already mentioned the when he's doing when he's cut he's got the anvils and uh, w- with us knowing what goes on in these camps where Joshua ran away because they wanted him to take a shower. Yeah, you're just like oh my god! You have like you're sitting there like you have no idea how close you just came to death. And that scene, yeah, there's, a, there's a few moments like that. His his innocence throughout the uh, throughout the. Uh, second half of this movie is just a frequent cause of panic. Yeah, which I imagine is largely what fatherhood feels like. It, it yeah, it really does. <laughs> when you become a father, you don't realize how many things can kill your child. Yeah. <laughs> You're just constantly afraid of the how easy your child can die. Sounds like a blast. It's such a good time. <laughs> <laughs> You don't realize how dangerous parking lots are until you have a child. Yeah, you're right. I just put in my headphones, close my eyes, and walk through and just, you know. Yeah, blasé. It's in God's hands now. Yeah, blasé. But when you have a kid, (laughs) every car that moves an inch you think is about to hit your kid. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, this the one thing as well is... Like I said, I've seen this movie about a dozen times, if not more, and still, every time there's an ounce of danger, I'm right on the edge of my seat. I still, my heart still races, and I know, I know for a fact that they're going to get out of it. Well, Joshua wow. does. Ooh. <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> we are in the spoiler section. We're in the spoiler section. But, like, the one that always, always gets me freaked out is when... uh joshua is having dinner with the other kids it is that is such a stressful moment it's so stressful and that's another moment like it's established early how clever guido is and how good he is at improvising and thinking on his feet um and that is the the star moment for him as far as his improvisation goes and thinking on the fly Mm -hmm. how he then goes around and teaches all of the kids to say grazie so mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem so out of the ordinary for Joshua to have said it. It's Honestly, my, my kid would have died in that scene. If I was Guido in that scene, my kid would have been taken away by Nazis. My kid would have. Me and my kid would have already been dead long ago. Yep, 100%. Long ago. Um, the I actually kind of wonder, um, spoilers for another film, uh, spoilers for Shawshank Redemption, I wonder if uh, Guido talking over the loudspeaker was lifted from the uh, f- record-playing scene in Shawshank. It's funny. There's there's sort of two scenes in uh, Life is Beautiful that could arguably be lifted from that because there's even a scene where he, he, he talks over the intercom mm. and there's a scene where he uh, doesn't use the intercom but he just plays... Yeah, uh, he turns the phonograph... Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of that word. Uh, he turns the photogra- phonograph out the window. And uh, there's actually, we, we talk about a couple of the beautiful shots in this movie. The scene of Dora looking out of the looking out the window and she's all illuminated by the moon. Mm-hmm. And she's, uh, and, and she's uh, given hope in that moment. I love that moment too. That's a great shot. Yeah, it's very similar to 
of that scene from Shawshank, and mm-hmm. I can still picture it in my head. The camera pans up to show the speakers and all the all the prisoners in the yard just staring at the speaker as that uh, opera singer is singing in in Shawshank. Fuck! How long till we get to talk about Shawshank? Uh, it's gonna be a while, as we've as I told you what, <laughs> what we have planned. God damn it. Okay. I know. <laughs> we could force it sooner, but no. No, we we won't. We'll yeah. uh, we'll be patient. It is going to it's going to be a, it's still going to be a while before we get to Shawshank. Cuz that's uh is that 94 same year as Pulp Fiction? Yeah. We're uh, I, if I if I know. And and Forrest Gump. Oh god damn it. Yeah. Forrest Gump, Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral and Quiz Show, if I'm not mistaken. We gotta we gotta rush through uh, 1995 to 1997. We don't even get, we don't even want to rush through them because the one we do after this one's fucking great as well. God, what a beautiful time to be a movie fan. The oh, 90s must have been it, right. Oh, Sam, it is. It it makes me sad to see what we're going through right now. Like, it's oh, hold on, I want to see something. I yeah, see you're I'm, looking up something as well. Yeah, I'm looking up. It's the release date for Life is Beautiful, uh, the Italian release date. It was December 20th, 1997. So I was one-year-old and some change when this movie came out. So I was not exactly a huge fan of film at this time, unless that film was like Barney or Teletubbies or, you know, other assorted kids shows. Okay, maybe I'm being a little harsh. Maybe it was last year. Hold on. I want to – because remember how I was just saying that are we going to look back on the movie's – Maybe it's because I'm thinking of the 90th Academy Awards. So I'm what, looking at... Where there, there just weren't that many that were fantastic? Well, I think I'm kind of wrong. Like, hold on, I, wa- I want to do one more. Maybe We're be- also probably... It's probably suffering from the fact that we now have more nominees, and therefore the average quality of them has gone down. Yeah. It's not just the five best, it's the ten best. You know what best it is? I think it's because last year, this year that we just had... I felt was kind of weak. It was weak. So it definitely was. Let's go with okay. So we got Green Book, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. So, but I, if I go back the year before, it's actually pretty good. Except I don't like. I don't think The Shape of Water should have won. But I I'm, think I was. I wasn't upset that The Shape of Water won though. I. I but I, as I'm looking at it, like, Call Me By Your Name, I think, is one that's going to continue to stand the test of time. I agree. Darkest Hour is not. That would have been, if this was a five-nomination nomination year, it shouldn't have been in there. Uh, I think Darkest Hour, by the way, is one of the two that I had not seen from this year, the other being Phantom Thread. Same here. But Phantom Thread's the only one I hadn't seen. Dunkirk mm-hmm. is definitely one that is good. I don't know if it'll hold up as much. I think it'll I think it'll hold up fine. It just won't go down as like a classic that, war and movie. That, that's it, what I'm it'll talk- go it'll go down as a good war movie. Yeah, but I don't think it'll be regarded as a classic. Mm-hmm. But then we have Get Out. Get Out is was a genre changer in my opinion. Yeah. That's one of the ones that's gonna stand out from from that year. Yes. Lady Bird, I think, is a movie that's going to continue to grow over time. Mm-hmm. I really that- do. It, it's difficult to refer to a movie that was nominated for Best Picture as like a cult classic, but that's sort of the the vibe that I get from it. Like people are going to discover Lady Bird over time. It's I agree. A, a- to me, I think Lady Bird's the kind of film that sisters are going to pass down to their younger sisters. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I think this is. I think Lady Bird is definitely going to be a very female-driven cult classic. Yeah. Right. And I don't. I don't mean to disparage the film in any way because of that, but it's very like it's. It's definitely made for women, and I'm glad. Right. Honestly, it was. It was close to making my top ten for that year. Honestly, if I were to redo it, I might replace the post with it. I'm not sure. Um, then we have Phantom Thread, which neither one of us have seen. I have yeah. it right there on my wall. On my shelf, still haven't watched it. I'm and if it's I'm not mistaken, Daniel Day Lewis in that if, one. If I'm not mistaken, still wrapped in plastic. <laughs> then we have the Post, and I think the Post is an overlooked film. As much as a Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg film can be overlooked, I just think, like, if the Post was made at this time in the '90s, it's like a slam dunk winner. Yeah. And then we have you and I's top film of that year, Three Billboards. Yeah, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. That's a source of contention with me and Jordan. She didn't like that movie nearly as much as we did. I know. And that's that was my favorite movie that year and yours. I know, uh, but I can tell you right now, if we redid our top ten of that year, it it would probably still be my top ten. It wouldn't be number one. It would be behind Blade Runner, probably. Hey. Yep. And yeah. probably behind Wind River. I still have it ahead of Wind River, but I Wind wa- River is quite good. I want to rewatch both of them. But and then uh, re, just to remind everyone uh, who didn't listen to our first ever episode, but Wind River nominated for zero Oscars that year. <laughs> and then the year before that, '89, this is where I start to feel that I'm like, I think maybe with the passage of time, we realized that things weren't as bad as we have because that that movie's got, it's loaded with fantastic films. Now the winner is Moonlight, which I don't, I think I need to rewatch it because I was upset with it winning. I wasn't upset with it winning, but it, it wasn't my favorite that year. But then we have Arrival. I think Arrival is going to go down as one of the great sci-fi movies of our generation. Yes. Fences, still haven't seen. Mm, overrated. Hacksaw Ridge, not. it's not going to go down as anything. It's yeah, it's g- a little too Mel Gibson-y. Yeah. But then we have Hell or High Water. Fuck ton of fun. Which is a movie I continue to beg people to watch. Yeah, me too. Hidden Figures, nah. I can't even believe that was nominated for Best Picture. I, I'm still, I, I still have problems with that film. I didn't mind it. La La Land is spectacular on multiple levels. You and I both love that movie. I, I thought that should have won over. Not that I necessarily thought it was the best of all those movies, but I thought it was better than Moonlight. I thought same when it, when its temporary uh, status as Best Picture when it was revoked in favor of Moonlight. Um, I was upset by that. As was I. And Lion, I think I loved Lion. Lion was a lot of, was, I was about to say it's a lot of fun, but that's inaccurate. It was yeah. very good. It's very good. Um, and then Manchester by the Sea, a great film I'll n- probably never watch again. <laughs> I often say that Manchester by the Sea is one of the best movies that I have no desire to watch. Um, <laughs> other than, um, what was that other one? Requiem for a Dream is oh, usually oh. the other that's usually the other movie on that list. <laughs> Requiem for the Dream is probably the best movie I'll never watch again. Yeah, well said. So <laughs> I guess maybe like in time, I'll look back on these recent Academy Awards with as much fondness as I do in the 90s. But I just feel the, like the 90s are just loaded with fantastic movies. Yeah, you're right, though, that like this year you're right to feel that it left a sour taste in your mouth because green book i had no problem with green book you and i both had it on our top tens this year yeah it was a Um, nice warm fuzzy film it's certainly not going to go down as one of the great movies of our generation i don't think Mm -mm. um and then the fact that 
don't get me wrong, Black Panther was a perfectly fine movie, one of the better movies in the MCU. But as far as best picture, I disagree. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody, we both talked about being just like <laughs> terrible. I actually really liked both Roma and The Favorite. Um, but those are probably the only I, I wouldn't say that I loved any of those movies. The only one politically, that I... as far as like the zeitgeist, like the spirit of our time and politically, it could be argued that Black Klansman might even be the most relevant movie out of those in, you know, 10 years time. Probably. A Star is Born is the only movie of those that I loved. I didn't love A Star is Born. I liked it. I definitely I it. loved it. But that's it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be interesting going forward and I I look for I look forward to that discovery with you, my friend. Yes, indeed. Uh, question, are we still talking about Life is Beautiful? Uh, we're about to start now. Okay, awesome. Great. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. From our scheduled break. Yes, we were talking about Oscars, so we're still technically on, on brand. Yeah, that's our, our favorite kind of correct around here. Technically correct. Yes, technically correct. Um, so there's so many, like I was saying, the the scenes where where he's almost getting caught and stuff still still make my heart race. And that is just a testament to the storytelling um prowess of roberto benini in this film yeah um another moment of him nearly getting caught um kind of tying into the cinematography of the whole thing and the shot composition i love the shot of him uh later when he's sort of on the run uh clutching above a window and the spotlight is looking for oh him. when he cl- yeah, yeah when he climbs up and times the spotlight thing it's it's so buster keaton like yes it's such a, like a silent movie era sort of uh slapstick gag which is weird to have this slapstick gag in the middle of this like holocaust movie or in the climax of this holocaust movie yeah so yeah I, that's another that's a really difficult shot to make work and it's really what it's really well done in this wide angle lens it's uh, it's awesome yeah as and as this is when he's he's trying to find dora and the the, the camp is being <sighs> what's the word i'm looking for liquidated i guess is the best way to say it evacuated well, they're not really evacuating them because remember they're taking the they're taking the people out to go execute them abandoned mm, whatever yeah that's why i like the word term liquidated um <laughs> he's going trying to find dora you know he's hid joshua in that cabinet and he's dressed as a, a woman the ugliest woman i may have ever seen yeah. um but it is a, a like you said, it's a perfect Buster Keaton movement, and it's shortly after this that he is caught. And I remember I'm sitting in the theater the first time I watched this, and at no point in my mind did I think that this man was going to die. Really? No, it never occurred to me. Never occurred to me. And as he's being led away by at gunpoint i remember in the theater i'm like in my mind i'm going through like all the movie tricks i'm like how is he going to get away from this how's he going to get away from this how's he going to get away from this and again could it be budget constraints could it be it's part of the fairy tale aspect or is it just that there's no real reason to show it but there's no reason to show him being shot and it's done so perfectly you know he him he's taken around the corner by the gunman they wait a couple seconds. You hear a couple gunfires go off. Another slight pause, and then the gunman comes around the corner by himself. 
Yeah, I think off the top of my head, the reason in my mind that we don't see uh, Guido get killed is that a lot of the movie is uh, taking place from Joshua's perspective. Like mm-hmm. we sort of see this fairy tale world uh, presented to us in a world where the the horrors of the Holocaust are sort of uh, I don't want to say muddied, but they're uh, alleviated just uh, slightly by Guido and his silliness and and all these gags. So I think we sort of see the world through Joshua's eyes for a lot. And since Joshua doesn't see Guido die, I think it makes sense that we don't see it either. It sort of preserves the audience's innocence as well, you know? Yeah, and that's fine. I have no problem with them not showing his death. But I remember in the theater, the whole time I'm like, how's he going to get out of this? How's he going to get out of this? And then that officer com- or officer, that soldier comes around the corner, walking away just matter-of-factly, and I'm like, he, di- he, di- he didn't get away from this. Like, this... He's he's dead. He's he's dead. Yeah. And this is the moment that I can feel the the tears starting to form and you know, Joshua comes out slowly and a tank appears. And there's the most I don't even know aw shucks American I've ever seen in my life <laughs> driving the tank yeah and hey there buddy hey there buddy come <laughs> on up here you don't know what I'm saying do you yeah it's great it's then they're driving along the road with all the camp survivors walking away and Joshua sees his mom and I'm a fucking mess at that point you know he starts talking about how they won they won and then there's the narration over top of it how his dad had to make the sacrifice and i'm just a fucking blubbery mess in the theater in the theater wiping snot on one of my good friend's arms and and he's doing the same for me we're just two crying messes in the theater and uh this re-watching this movie i'd say Let's go, let's say I've, well, I've definitely seen it more than 10 times. We'll go 10 times. I'd say maybe once, maybe twice have I watched this movie and not cried. Was this one of them? This was, oh, no, fuck no. <laughs> no, no, there there was tears. Man, what was wrong with you? You didn't cry those two times. I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> rough times for Manny Manuel. I was going to say, maybe I was in a dark place, but if I was in a dark place, that would make me cry more. Yeah, probably. Who knows? I would imagine I'm, this would be the movie to finally open you up and make you cry if you're in a dark place. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been able to watch this movie without crying. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's pretty strong of you, actually. It's probably like one of the times where I watched them, like I watched, I've watched it close together instead mm-hmm. of a, like, you know, like, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie in easily over five years because that's how old my daughter is. Yeah. So it's probably one of the times that I watched it pretty close back to back, and that would probably be one of the times. I'd have to, I'd have to say for sure, I didn't cry one time watching this movie. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely did cry the first. I didn't cry this time. Granted, I was on painkillers the first time, so I'm not even entirely sure I knew what I was crying about. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, super emotional ending to this movie, and it's. It's not even like a completely sad ending. It's not a completely happy ending. It's very bittersweet. Um, it's tragic. But the reunion between but the reunion between Joshua and his mom is so cute. Yeah. 
just yells mama and just oh, oh man it's it's adorable it and is adorable. i love by the way for all the shitting on child acting that i especially have done today i love joshua's shocked face that he has at numerous expre- or numerous times in this movie <laughs> he has a really cute uh shocked face and the last time we see it is uh when he sees the tank right when uh, when the tank is rolling in, he just has this like <gasps> mouth fully agape, yeah, uh, eyes wide. It's, uh, it's the cutest thing ever. And he also does it uh, during the uh, translation scene where Guido is translating for the German soldier to the rest of the prisoners. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, he also. Uh, I think he, uh, when he says that the guy ate uh, twenty lollipops or something like that, and he got a stomachache, Joshua yeah. has this the same shocked expression on his face. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the kid, the kid's got the good shocked face for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that takes us to the end of the movie. I mm-hmm. it was absolute joy to watch it. Um, it's perfectly, uh, it's perfectly paced as well. Like, what is an hour? Yeah, just under two hours. There's, doesn't feel like it at all. It doesn't at all. It's uh, it's perfectly paced. I don't, I don't think there's anything that you could really cut out, honestly. No, everything is completely well placed. Like I said, it does sort of feel like the first act of this movie is a separate movie entirely. Oh, totally. Like at, at the end of the movie, you're sort of like, man, remember in the first act when, like, <laughs> when we were all giggling, were getting <laughs> eggs dropped on their head, like, what the <laughs> fuck is that? But. But that's that's such an important part of the movie because it sets the tone really well, sets the story, and most importantly, it develops the character of Guido as, as this really carefree, um, optimistic guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I one hundred percent agree with you. It, mm-hmm. It's it's such a great. It's oh yeah, the movie's so spectacular. Fifty nine Metascore. Get your head out of your ass. Get the fuck out of here with this fifty nine. This is the best fifty nine Metascore that will ever exist. I am confident saying that there is not a better movie. That is below a 59 Metascore. I'm very confident asserting that. Oh, shit. That's some strong words. I'm interested now. Yeah. Going forward, we'll have to see how that goes. Indeed. Well, I mean, I my usual example for uh, a movie getting too low of a Metascore is The Prestige. Because I think I got like 66, right? Yeah, I'd have to double check on that. And I, I fucking love that movie. I love me some Christopher Nolan. So, yeah. I, I might have to double check that, but that's that's been my underrated example. But now it's life is beautiful at fifty nine. That's the that's the mark to beat. Astounding. Um, I think that covers off everything that I had for my notes. Yeah. Um, did I mention that I cried? Uh, I think we touched on it briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, by the way, I was watching this movie with Jordan, who is both <gasps> a. Cr- who is both a crybaby and Jewish. Oh, so, right. I totally uh, forgot. So I want I want the Jordan review. Yeah. Uh, okay, one, uh, did she cry? Uh, she not only cried, she sobbed. She It was ugly, ugly cry. Ugly cry. And I don't I don't say that to embarrass her because I have had my fair share of ugly cries during movies of, before. Of course. But, but yes, uh, ugly cry was the so result here. So that actually follow that pretty much answers my follow-up question is, yeah. did she like the movie? Uh, yeah, she loved it. She said she absolutely adored it. I'll, I'll tell her when I'm done recording here. Uh, I'll tell her to message you with her full review. If, yes. Uh, I'm sure you'd be interested to hear it. But yes, yeah, please. She, uh, she said she absolutely loved it. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of desperate to hear her thoughts on the <laughs> film. So I tell her I would greatly appreciate a, a, a message from her on what she thought. All right. I am writing that down as well. Perfect. Uh, is there anything that you want to touch on before we move forward? Uh, let's see. I think it was just a couple of little moments. Um, the, the main thing we, we touched on it briefly with Guido, but I just, 
I really did love in his character um, the job that he does sheltering Joshua mm-hmm. from the horrors of the world. Oh, sheltering. Um, I love that. It, it starts with uh, right after the first act ends and we see Joshua for the first time. I think the first instance of him sheltering Joshua is when they walk by a shop that says uh, no Jews or dogs. Yes. And Guido just on the fly comes with a little explanation. He says, oh, everyone has their own little thing. Uh, I had a guy who didn't like uh, Chinese or horses. And when I open my shop, it's going to be no spiders or Visigoths. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> just like so good on the fly thinking. And uh, yeah, he's very good at um, having such an optimistic look at the world. And even before that, actually, in the sort of fairy tale portion of the movie, um, an excellent moment is him riding in on the vandalized horse. Yes. Uh, that ha- Because it's such a it's such a fuck you to everybody in the room. It's like it, it's either he's willful, willfully ignorant of the hatred that's being levied against him because of because he's Jewish, or he's just completely oblivious. I think it's the first one probably, but it, it, or maybe it's some combination of the two. Um, he just it's such a huge level of not giving a fuckery that is just so admirable and respectable, and it's uh, one of the reasons why this first section of the movie is so important because it sets up that aspect of his character really well. Um, uh, we did actually touch on Guido's death briefly, um, but I just wanted to say that one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is him looking over at the cabinet and winking before doing his little silly march. Yeah, like he's he's continuing the act right until the end, and even to him, more important than his life in that moment is maintaining Joshua's innocence oh. and making him continue to think that this is a game it's such a beautiful moment it it's is, really a fantastic moment that is a highlight of the film yeah um i think that is probably all i have here oh and uh yeah the last moment which again ties into that whole theme is um a surprisingly dark moment in this movie I, it shouldn't be too surprising because it's about the holocaust um but when joshua comes to guido um, in the middle of uh, sort of the middle of this movie and he says uh, they make soap and buttons out of us oh yeah that scene is hard to watch that is a very difficult scene and Guido this is where he starts to become a little more desperate and again I think his dramatic acting chops are coming out in this scene because he is still you know laughing and being silly but his face is a little bit more worn he's like sweatier it, you can see that he's a little bit more desperate in this scene and he's sort of just holding on and just maintaining this illusion that he's uh, strung up for, for Joshua. It's a, it's a great moment too. Yeah. Oh, con- I concur 100%. Well said. Well said. I, I think that's, that's just about it. Okay. Uh, I got a couple little things of trivia, nothing too great. Um, it's kind of more about the, I guess the, well, uh, Roberto Benigni's Oscar for Best Actor marked only the second time that an actor had directed himself in an Academy Award-winning performance. The other, Sir Laurence Olivier, in Your boy in Hamlet. <laughs> um, Roberto Benigni uh, says the title from the the title of the film comes from a quote by Leon Trotsky. In exile in Mexico, knowing he was about to be killed by Joseph Stalin's assassins, he saw his wife in the garden and wrote that, in spite of everything, life is beautiful. Which Uh, is actually, it it captures the spirit of the movie very well in that sense, because in spite of all the shit 
that uh, his family is going through. All all he does is see the beauty in the world and yes. point it out to, to Joshua in this movie. Yeah, it's so true. It's su- like it's such a perfect title for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, Benini became only the fourth person to be nominated for the Academy Awards for Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Screenplay in the same year. The other recipients: Orson Welles for Citizen Kane, Woody Allen for Allen Hall for Annie Hall. Sorry and Warren Beatty for for he did it twice for both Heaven Can Wait and Reds. Um, Pretty good list to be on. Yeah, not too bad. Uh and that's it. That's all I have for trivia. Cool. Um Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Where am I here? Um favorite scene, Sam. Uh there's a bunch of different candidates. I I could go a number of different directions, but um I think it's going to be the translation scene. Um especially having the having the background of knowing some german and being able to understand what the german guard is saying it offers a really uh really dark juxtaposition between the silliness of what guido is saying and the dark reality of where they are and what the guard is saying so uh i think uh that combined with joshua just being super cute in that scene with his uh shocking reactions and the excellent improvisational skills of guido uh that's gonna be my pick I'm right with you. The translation scene is the highlight of the movie for me. And uh, I wish I had the added bonus of knowing what the German officer said like you did. Um, <laughs> but even then, it's still uh, it's still my favorite scene of the movie. For sure. Um, your final... Oh, no, what do we... Ratings? Final thoughts? I can't I, remember what we do. Uh, let's, let's, let's do final thoughts. I think it makes sense to do final thoughts and then ratings. Eh? Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll lead off. Uh, sure. Life is Beautiful is a spectacular film from start to finish. Like I said, the first half is this just quirky, fun, romantic comedy. The second half is this tragic story of a father and a son. Um, and while I say tragic, I guess uh, a tragedy uh, might be a great way, or a comedy tragedy, whatever you want to call it. I think I think tragic comedy is tragic comedy. Uh, it's it's a beautiful film, uh, much like the the title itself. Life is beautiful. This movie is a pure joy to watch and one that I am constantly recommending for people to watch. I don't care if people can't handle subtitles. This is a movie that it doesn't even matter if you don't like subtitles. You're still going to love this film. Life is Beautiful is a spectacular film and one that should be shared and watched by everyone. Beautiful. Love it. Life is beautiful. Uh, I am so happy, Manny, that uh, you recommended the, this movie to me. Uh, what feels like forever ago, like I said, three years ago seems like forever ago. It really but, does. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm so happy that you recommended this movie to me because it's truly a special movie. I was saying this to Jordan right after we watched it. It's completely unique. I, I can't think of another artist uh, who could have treated this horrifying subject matter. Uh, with such elegance and grace and humor for some reason, but it somehow works. Um, it, it's a completely unique movie. I don't think there's another one like it out there. Um, the characters in it are lovely. Roberto Benigni uh, shows his genius in his performance and the writing and the direction um, with a magical score and a number of good moments as far as the technical aspects like the cinematography go. Um, there, There's very little bad to find about this movie. 59 Metascore is criminally low. Um, I understand that some people wouldn't like this movie because they would find it insensitive. As someone who, um, you know, is a straight white guy, I don't think I, I don't think I'll ever really understand um, 
you know, that, well, let's, let's put it this way. I understand where those people are coming from, but I'll never get it. You know, I'll mm-hmm. never, uh, I'll, I'll never be in their shoes. So I don't really feel like I'm in a place to comment on that. All I can say is that for me, it's a, it's a wonderful movie about seeing the beauty in the world and maintaining a child's innocence. It's fantastic. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could offer enough praise onto this film. So Manny, uh, what is your rating out of five and why is it five? It's five because this movie is spectacular from start to finish. Hilarious, heartbreaking, heartwarming. Uh, yeah, the movie is a, a, an absolute joy start to finish. And Sam, I believe this is a five for you as well. It absolutely is a five. Uh, I've only seen this movie twice as opposed to your 15 uh, but it's going to be rewatched uh, several times through the years. And this is, a, this is a new favorite of mine. It's excellent. Awesome. All right. So that is Life is Beautiful. For those of you out there listening to us, if you want to contact us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, Luminary, and Stitcher and Spotify. Shit, I, I'm all mixed up. Who cares? Et cetera. Et cetera. There's lots of places to listen to us. Um uh, also, uh, we're coming to the end of the nomination phase for our Halloween episode. If you would like to nominate a horror film for Sam and I to watch for our Halloween episode this year, you can contact us at the previously mentioned places on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or at email at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. The voting is going to be opening soon. Get your votes in, get your nominees in, make Sam and I watch something scary for Halloween. That's it. So next week, we're going to be on uh, episode four of five in this series. It's going to be episode 75. This is going to be a good one. We're Holy fuck. About Saving Private Ryan. Oh. I have wanted to review this movie since we started this damn thing. I have been itching. It's finally here. I'm going to force Jordan to watch it. She's probably going to ugly cry again. Has she not seen Saving Private Ryan either? She's, uh, she uh, said it was too difficult to make it through. She, she started it? Yeah, emotionally, she said it was too difficult to make it through, which oh. I can get. But she's going to watch the whole thing this time. Yeah. The, the, uh, heads up to everybody. Next week's episode is probably going to be the same length as the movie itself. Yeah, we. I can talk about Saving Private Ryan forever. So, yeah, and I'm uh, looking yeah. forward to talking about Saving Private Ryan forever. I am super duper looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, that's next week, episode 75, Saving Private Ryan. All right, that wraps it up. So, for the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Arrivederci. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.